Hello and welcome to the 12-hour live show, HPR, hosted by Pokey. Thanks, Clad2. I just started saying that and realized I wasn't using my push talk, so <laughs> I just said <laughs> all that without keying up. We're off to a great start. Welcome, everyone, to the last day of 2011, the last HPR recording of 2011, and uh, hopefully a, a long day of, of people talking about how much they enjoyed HPR over the year. Um, boy, we've got a full crew in here. Uh, it looks like we've got uh, 5150. You want to say hello? Howdy, Poke. Thanks for joining us. We've got um, Frank is here. Frank, I don't know if we've met before. How you doing, Frank? Pretty good. I hope you can hear me. Yeah, we got you. you got a little bit of an echo, but you're definitely here. Uh, we got Kevin W. Good morning, everybody. And we have Pipe Man Music, uh, Dan Worth, whose server we're on. Thank you very much for all your help in setting this up, Dan. Hello, hello, hello. And we have Dan Washko, who has got two machines on here. He's on here uh, to talk, and he's also got his asterisk machine hooked up, and we'll be giving out that connection information at some point so that if people can't connect through Mumble, we actually have a dial-in line for you to use. Hey, Dan. Good day, Pokey. And we have uh, Jay Newstetter for right now. How you doing, Jay? He may be away from his mic right now. Clad too. How's it going, man? Thank you for coming on and helping out. Hi, everybody. Hey, Pokey. Um, my pleasure to be here. And back from Ohio, we have Pegwall. I'm not in Ohio, but okay. <laughs> That's what we said. You're back from Ohio. It's fantastic. You, you fell in that hole and sunk in there for a while. So, uh... Man, this is great. We've 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 got all kinds of people listening. We've got all kinds of people on the stream, and these are all people who are fans of Hacker Public Radio. And that's just uh, it's the coolest thing. It's really the coolest thing. Klaatu, where do we start, man? Uh, beats the heck out of me. Didn't you have some show ideas or something about like what we were supposed to talk about? Not really. I was just it would be more of a roundtable thing where people would uh, would bring the topics that they had, but. I can certainly start us off in talking about how this kind of came together and kind of the problems that had to be overcome <laughs> on the way there. But uh, I had um, I had my machine, which I, I wasn't planning on using, but I was testing out okay. Uh, the, the hard drive was too full to do any of the recording, but I installed Jack just to try that out, and the thing completely failed on me. And that was earlier this week, and I had no time to get anything working. Everything I tried failed on me. So I, I pulled out a spare machine that I had in the basement, and I installed Linux Mint on there, thinking that would be quick to get up and running. And uh, I've got to say, all the praise and all the, the, the good I've heard about Linux Mint, the new one, um, none of it came through on my end. It just it failed left, right, and center. And I, uh, I wound up using a, uh, a Salix install in this machine is what's running now, which is uh, it's, it's Slackware for lazy people, so... Slackware and Salix to the rescue. Interesting. So what what was involved in setting the whole thing up anyway? I mean, what did you have to do? 
basically just get mumble installed, get my sound working and, um, you know, make sure everything was stable. But I don't know what was going on with Mint, but my sound card kept like sound would fail. If I went to adjust a volume, my sound would just completely fail and it'd be gone and it wouldn't come back until I rebooted. Um, I've been using Audacity for a few years now, and I don't think I've had an Audacity crash in like three years. And on that Mint install, it crashed every time I opened it, about five or, or eight minutes into a session, it would crash. And I, I really don't know what the problem was, but I put Slackware on there, and it, you know, it's perfect now. So that was uh, that was my end of it. And then um, and uh, I know that we had some a little bit of trouble uh, with the with the streams getting up in the server, but that was more more a timing thing where it was hard to get everybody together to to test everything out all at once. So, uh, you know, we had some trouble at some point with the uh, the Kelt deck. Everybody had to be on the same version of Kelt, and that wasn't working because not all distros have the same version of Kelt available, and people would have to either go compile or find it from another source. So we've dialed everything back down to um, to the Speaks codec for this, which is, uh, you know, it's going to be tough for anybody using an Android because that doesn't have the Speaks codec. We won't hear them, and they, more than they certainly won't hear us. But uh, but that's what we're using now, and we got just a million people uh, in the in the chat room right now, which is awesome. Um, Dan Washko, you have the an asterisk machine set up with a, a Meet Me conference bridge on it. How how did you get that working? It's just a bluge pokey. It's just taking two sound cards. They had to be different cards because I could not use the same um, USB sound card. Um, so I had to use two different cards, and I just uh, took the line out, line in from one, plugged it into the line out of the other, and vice versa. It's like I said, it's very kludgy, but it seems to work. So what services have you got running on that machine right now? Um, Mumble, of course, and Linphone. And they just... Linphone's connected into the conference on the Asterix server, and Mumble's connected into where it's supposed to be. Okay, sweet. So at some point, um, maybe when, when Ken Fallon becomes available again to update the website, we can probably drop that phone number or the SIP connection into uh, into the Hacker Public Radio page and people can call in on that, right? Yeah, no problem. I'll send him the information, so it's all up to him. That is awesome. That is awesome. Who else has got a, uh, a sound hack going on right now that was that was not you know the easiest thing to get in here? Who else, who else dealt with issues? I mean, I'm the one who's got the the, the the setup to stream it and all. Yeah, you've got the most complicated setup of all, Pipe Man. Can can you uh, can you explain to us how you got that even to work? Um, it's actually not as complicated as you think. Um, we just have a uh, I have a web server that's running Icecast and the and the Murmur server. And then on my end, um, once you get Jack running, you can there is a patch for Mumble to get it to work with Jack. And so basically I just fire up Mumble and it pops up in my Jack connections. And then I use a, a Icecast client called Dark Ice, which also supports Jack. And then I have a config file that I run and it's basically all scripted and it just pops up and connects. <laughs> it's not as complicated as you think it was. Getting Jack running seems to, to be a stumbling point for a lot of people. But once you have that done, getting everything else to work is not is just, you know, I have a patch bay and I just... I'm able to plug the output of the mumble into dark ice so that this, the mumble is streamed and then the output of that into my system speakers so I can hear it. And then I have uh, 
I have a multi-channel card. I can do uh, 10 audio inputs and 10 audio outputs on the same card. And so I have two inputs. One is my guitar, plugged directly through a direct box into my mixer. And then the other one is uh, my Audio-Technica AT3035 condenser mic. And then that, and then those are routed both and then both to bar- Dark Ice. So on the stream, all of my stuff is direct to Dark Ice. It doesn't go through Mumble. Well, given that, the, given that this is Hacker Public Radio, maybe someone could actually educate me on how streaming even works. I mean, I know that, I guess, Icecast or whatever, well, actually, I don't even know. So how does streaming work? Does anyone know? You mean technically? Yeah, like, what's the workflow? Like, so you've got Icecast running as a service on a, on your server, right. and, and that's outputting the sound that we're sending to it. And then people can connect to that service essentially and hear the sound. Is that all there is to it? Well, there's a yeah, yeah. This this you connect to the server with a with some sort of ice casting client, and that's how I feed audio to the to the IceCast server. Okay, all right. And I'm I'm using Dark Ice, which is a a client that supports. Um, it's a command line, and you use a config file. Okay. To run it, there's no GUI for it, but it also supports so. Oh, so does it just show up like as an input or an output rather at, in the jack when you open up like QJack control? It would just be one of the one of the things. That, oh, cool. Okay. It says dark ice, and then whatever it has a random number it assigns to it is a writable client, and then I just connect into it. Very cool. Okay. So I mean, once you get once you're able to do it once, repeating it is pretty simple. The problem is I seem to have a hard time explaining to get there, you know, but. Really, when I want to stream and do a live show, there isn't a ton of setup. I just run a bash script that starts everything, and then I'm good to go. Yeah, you were saying before that the getting Jack set up might be the, the stumbling block, and that's probably where, where I was stumbling, too, because I would open the Jack uh, GUI, and I would see the patch bay, and it's just a list of um, you know inputs and outputs down two different sides of the screen, and you highlight two, and you click connect, and it draws a line between the two of them. Right. And it seemed to know what it was doing. It seemed to even connect them automatically. But as I could not get sound running at all. And it was very weird because my sound card seems to be perfectly happy um, outputting any sound that goes into my microphone. But nothing in my system was expecting, was uh, acknowledging any of that sound, you know? Hmm. So in the in QJack control, there's a setup. And this, this is where... Um, it's where you basically set in all the settings. Were you able to get you were able to get Jack the server running? Yeah, see that like I said, that's probably the stumbling point. I have really no idea. <laughs> so I, okay. I just that that could have been where the problem was. And then uh Right. On the main screen you know, there's like a start and stop button. When you start, that actually starts the Jack server, the daemon. Yeah, that's what I thought. And I would hit that and I would see the, the timer running, but I don't know. Maybe it just I don't know. It didn't. It didn't like me that time. I'll have to try it another time. And uh, uh, the, the other thing is, in your settings, you want to make sure that your duplex, you're set to duplex, and that you're using the proper interface on your on your computer. Some of the Intel give like four or five devices, you know. So you want to make sure you're set up using the proper device. That's what kills um, me every time. I, I never know. It takes me so long to figure out which which of those. Yeah, like four or five versions of the same sound card I'm really supposed to be using. Oh gosh, yeah. I have a uh, a Sound Blaster card that whenever I you know switch machines out or something, that card comes with me because no matter what, that sound card works and my mic works on it. 
But, uh, you know, when I open up any sound configuration, I have, you know, five or six, you know, Intel sound inputs for the internal card and like eight or 10 or 12 on the Sound Blaster card. And it's, and then, you know, Alza has five or six listed as default, which I think are just the same as what's on the, the Sound Blaster card. And it's just, it's so weird. It's so, uh, there's not an easy way to test it. I think if you could test it easier, then the rest would be easy. Yeah, I think I think getting the device in the, in the settings is one thing that people trip over, just because the way Linux registers audio devices is a, is a bit strange, and Intel registers like a bunch of different audio devices. Uh, usually, if you're if you're not running Jack, you can figure out which ones he- head into your headphones with uh, using the command line a play, and you can you can send say a wave file directly to that sound card and you should hear audio and that'll usually tell you which you know it's usually hw colon zero or something along those lines that's a great tip i did not know that yeah if you do a play dash l it's either l or capital l i can't remember which one it should list all the sound cards yeah, that's not bad. I'm, see, I'm thinking from the dumb user standpoint, my my uh, solution would be to ask some kernel hacker, you know, to like alias sound cards with known values. So like if I plug in my, my Sound Blaster or whatever version card, the kernel would say, oh, you, you know, it would replace whatever it's calling it with, oh, the green plug or the red plug. That's, you know, if we had a list of that going on, people could could uh, you know update that list with known values? That would make it real easy. Yeah, if you could like edit what you see in like K mix or whatever GUI mixer you've got on your system, that would be really nice. If you could edit the, I mean, even I mean, it would be great if the distribution could figure that out. But it might not be possible because there are so many possible values for each. But at least if you could sit down one afternoon and say, okay, I'm going to figure all this stuff out and then go through and figure out which weird name of your sound device is which plug in the back of your tower or whatever, then you could double click on it, rename it to whatever human makes sense kind of value. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. I'm pretty sure you can alias ports. They, oh, okay. You could actually enter a card. Uh, also, will alias a, a vendor name, but like I can actually call the device by card. Mine's called an M1010LT because it's an M audio Delta 1010 light audio card. How did you do that? I didn't do it. Alsa does it. So you can do like. I'm sorry. I think what you meant was how did you cause Alsa to alias the card to give you a a more human readable name? I didn't. It does it. It does it itself. I would like some way for the user to be able to do that, so that like Pokey says, if I'm looking at the back of my tower and I've got a orange plug and a green plug and a black plug and a blue plug, I could say, okay, I figured out that this is HW colon zero, so that's the one, you know, I'll call that the black plug, and that way I know what that is. I just, I think that'd be really, really nice. Oh, I, yeah, that's not really how a sound card works, though. Oh. I mean, the one of those devices is all your physical ports, all in one. The other ones will be right. like uh, will be like a digital mixer that some some uh, audio cards include. Other some of those other devices aren't aren't uh, most of them are just junk. They're they're stuff you're not going to use. Okay. What what you just need to figure out is which one is the one. And once you've got that, right, you, you just keep you you know. But anyways. Yeah, that's that's like I said. Every time I change computers, I I take yeah. the sound card out and I put it in the next computer that I'm using because. No matter what, if I plug this mic into this sound card, every computer I've used it on, it works just fine. And I get, uh, you know, like if I open Audacity and look at the sound wave, I get my my zero 
line is right in the center as, as opposed to like way low or way high, which other cards and other mics have done on me. So that's, you know, th- this is but what I got. <laughs> it's also why generally when we're dealing with any kind of recording or audio, I never recommend using the, the built-in sound card. It's, it's usually difficult to use. And there's a lot of better better options out there. And some of them aren't even that crazy expensive. Like, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Behringer makes one, a, a USB device that's called, I believe the U... Uh, let me look. You're talking about one of those like breakout boxes, basically. You plug it into your USB port, and it's got a bunch of inputs and outputs. Yeah, even something simpler like uh, the Behringer UCA202, which is just basically has RCA ports on it. You have two in, two out, and it's a USB plug. And those nice. will show up like as a U202. And they're not, it's not crazy expensive. I mean, it's under $40. If you hunt it around, I bet you could pick one up probably around 30 Has them for 24 So then you have an RCA plug. The problem is getting that to a mic. So usually you end up going with a mixer. And there's a, there's a pretty inexpensive mixer that Behringer makes. It's the Behringer Zenix. I, uh, 802, it, I think. It seems to me, as as I you know go through life, that audio seems to be the only problem that I know of that can be solved by just throwing a ton of money at it. <laughs> it's really <laughs> annoying. Yeah. Um, I mean, of all the problems that people try to solve by throwing money at them, it seems to work just fine for audio. To be fair, though, this little mixer's uh, 38 bucks on Amazon. So, I mean, it's... You'd be looking right around the $50 mark, and you could plug a real mic into your computer and have really good Linux performance. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. Um, if, so, I mean, if, it, is an out, it isn't an outrageous proposition to solve, but it's not. It know. also doesn't, I mean, to be fair, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, if you don't want to spend the money, you could sit there and spend the time and fig- and kind of, you know, figure out your internal sound card and just jot down on a piece of paper if you have to which weird interface the one that you really want to use is called and you know you can kind of figure it out but it does get easier if you just yeah throw a little bit of money at it yeah uh usually no i don't want i'm trying to avoid the the preachy like what constitutes good audio quality or not because i know um content is king in podcasting you know as long as it sounds reasonable it's okay but when you're using an internal sound card and you're plugging in uh a mic into that it's not the the mic you end up using is called a, a permanently charged back electric mic electret mic and uh it's because those like that, that's what's like in a headset or you know back in the day you had the little microphones that sit on your desk and stuff like that those are about as poor a quality of microphone as 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 is possible you know i agree that content is king and that uh you know the sound quality issue once you get it solved becomes you know a, a background problem and i'm going to use that as a segue to try to say hello and introduce some of the people in the room here that um at least i am not as familiar with so is there anybody here on the call right now that um that is not or, or has not uh, contributed a show to hpr yet is, is anybody here like that i haven't yet i was planning on doing a uh, how i found linux episode here while i was off work over the holidays very cool, and this is Kevin talking for people who can't see. Kevin, you you're an HPR listener, then I take it. Correct. I I subscribe to the feed and listen to all the shows. Awesome. Now, how long have you been listening? Do you have any idea? Oh, I would say uh, clear back 
to when it was um, what was the original name of the of the website and the, the show? Oh, today with a techie. No, what was the the original? Uh, ben Rev. Yeah, ben Rev Radio. When, yeah, when it was still Ben Rev, I, was, I probably when I started, and I, I remember it switching over to Hacker when they switched to Hacker to the Hacker Public Radio. Yeah, Ben Rev Radio was a great show. I loved that. That was one of the first ones that I that I listened to. Well, I mean, first podcasts. Yeah, it was uh, it was a really great show. I've, I've, I'm still hoping that um, that Stank Dog, you know, got some of the emails and some of the publicity that we sent out and would call in. But uh, you know, I'm holding on to that hope that he'll call in at some point today. But yeah, it was it's funny too because I heard about Ben Rev and about Ben Rev Radio, and I subscribed to the podcast. And the first one that came down the feed, like the day after I subscribed, was their final show. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I think it's almost the same thing for me because you're talking about that seven-hour thing that he did. Yeah, yeah, that really yeah. long show. <laughs> you know, but one of the, the funny thing is that was like one of the that was yeah that was I think where I started listening to Ben Rev Radio, um, but it, it literally it remains one of those episodes that just kind of of all times you know it just really made a huge impression on me. Yeah, it was it was a big deal. Uh, it, I mean, Kevin, did you remember that like the feeling that that kind of gave you and when hpr started up to like that first time that hpr music happened like i was so pumped for that like here's something important was the feeling that that came across me and that stuck with me personally um, i i don't i don't recall how i felt i mean that i just i like that i like the intro music and i when i hear that come, come through my uh player when i'm listening to the podcast i know there's you know oh you know 90 Five percent chance it's going to be a good show. So, yeah, definitely Pegwall. I was going to say personally, I'm sorry for interrupting everybody, but um, when I first heard it, like I got that big sense of community. You know, like when you first start getting oh. involved in the Linux community you and you get the feeling that you know I'm a part of something. Start was all we heard. Like when you first start getting involved in the Linux Linux community and you just get that feeling of I'm involved. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's very exciting and very appealing, I think. That's a, a big draw, I th at least for me. I mean, the feeling that, yeah, it's it's something's going on. People are interested in this more than just a passing interest. One of the things that I help, but that I think helps to give it that feeling is that there's such a low barrier to entry um, in, in listening and subscribing and also in hosting a show, but that doesn't seem to turn away the real pros, when the guys come out with the real technical shows, they they don't seem to mind that that barrier to entry is so low. And a lot of times you get that where people will kind of snub their nose at the room full of noobs. And I just that doesn't happen at HPR. I really enjoy that about it. Well, that's because I think – well, first of all, I think the geek community is very much like that anyway, largely. I mean like the most, most of the geeks that I've met are very sort of real. You know, They don't care who you are or how much you know as long as you're just kind of yourself – and I think Hacker Public Radio inherits that a lot because everyone's got something interesting to say, even if they don't know that much about a certain topic. They they've probably got some interesting angle that we can all learn from. I have to say the the ability to do like um, just call in shows and have it end up being posted, uh, you can't really get lower of a barrier entry. And um, what's the name of the guy? Gadget. Yeah, Mr. Gadgets. Gadgets. Mr. Gadgets. Those have been some of my that, favorite that episodes amazing. of all time. I mean, honestly, yeah, I me could just too. listen to I could just listen to him ramble on about anything. You know, I 
you know, I have so many podcasts in my podcast catcher now that I have to be pretty selective. And um, Mr. Gadget's shows end up at the top of the list every time. They're they're one of the first ones I go for just because I always walk away with a smile and feeling better about stuff. So uh, you can't get lower of a barrier entry to just make a phone call, talk about some stuff, and call it good, you know. Definitely. And, and uh, Mr. Gadgets isn't here right now, but I think Frank, who's here now, is Frank Bell. And his shows, Frank, if that's you, have your shows have the same feeling to me as those uh, those Mr. Gadget shows. Or your show, I think you posted one. It had the same feeling to me. It was really every bit as enjoyable as that. Well, thank you very much. Um, I, it's not just I think that there's low barrier of entry. I think that the Hacker Public Radio community is really welcoming. It's positive. It wants people to come in. At least I've felt that. Uh, by the way, I can hear most people, but I can't seem to hear Klaatu uh, when his little lips go red. Uh, so I'm, you know, hesitant to pop in because I might walk on somebody. Well, that's fair enough. Um, in the configuration, if your settings, uh, your compression is set down to speaks, you should be able to hear. My guess is that your your uh, compression is up into where it says that it's the Kelt codec being used. We've we've had some Kelt codec incompatibility problems, but uh, but yeah, to, as to what you said, it's it's absolutely the feeling that I get out of HPR is that people try to be welcoming. Um, most of the feedback that we see, like show comments, are very positive, very welcoming things. Trying to encourage people to post another show, and something that Klaatu said earlier was was um, about people who don't think that they have anything to say. And it's so funny because people will say that to me in an email or in an IRC that they don't think they have anything to say. And when they actually finally post their shows, they're some of the most popular shows that we have because it's a, it's a perspective that no one has uh, approached before. So it's new to everybody and it's exciting. And, uh, I, you know, I would like people to know, don't let that hold you back from, from throwing a show up there. And uh, give your audio another try, Frank. Okay, and I have checked my Kodak several times. It definitely says speaks, and I'm hearing most people. It's only one or two that I'm not picking up. Uh, and the syndrome you're talking about, about people thinking they don't have anything to say, is one that I've run into a lot. People tend to uh, kind of put down their own experiences. They can be creative, but if you ask them, they will say, me, I'm not creative. I just did what I had to do. I think that's a natural human impulse. Me, I've got plenty of ego. I was just having trouble picking subject matter. Yeah, and that seems to be at the heart of the hacker ethos and why Hacker Public Radio works is that people do just get stuff done. And many times they're doing stuff in a way that no one's thought of yet or that no one realizes they need. So when they talk about that, it really strikes home with a lot of people. That, that seems to be a big part of it. I think it's funny. Uh, lots of times when I when I've talked, you cut out people, there quite. Sorry. You weird to say. Lots of times when you've talked, when I've talked about um, why I started doing the open source musician podcast, um, the reason is that nobody else was. You know, it wasn't necessarily that I, I felt like I was the right guy or the guy who knew enough. Because when I first started, I, I I knew next to nothing. You know, I just started using Linux, so. It was just that I really wanted a show like that and nobody else was putting it out. And I think HPR is a great outlet for people who don't want to go through the trouble of setting up their own feed and that kind of stuff. 
and maybe don't have a weekly show worth of stuff, but have something to say or something to talk about. And I really love the uh, how I found Linux um, podcast because you know now I've been doing this six years or so. Um, it's the same problem at work. I'm, I'm going through a batch of training people at work, and um, there's seven or f- ten or fifteen steps in everything that I do that I don't think about anymore. And that those are the things that get the new guys tripped up. And so hearing the How I Found Linux and even if the Hacker Public Radios are just people saying, hey, I have a problem with this and I can't seem to get it solved. Does anybody else want to do a Hacker Public Radio on how to do it? And these are the problems I'm having, you know. I like those too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, when people call in and, and talk about that stuff, it's, it's, it's every bit as interesting when somebody says they don't have a solution as, as when they say that they do. But even then, even if you don't think it's enough to make a show out of, uh, go ahead and email a show request to hpr at hackerpublicradio.org, and we'll stick it on our list of show requests. And, and if you want to do a show and can't find a topic, not sure what to do when on check that list, it's on the, uh, the contribute page. And uh, and there's always one, there's always something. Actually, a really big part. Can you start that sorry, over you, again, Fatu? Yeah, sorry, you had cut out. I think you were finished. Um, I was gonna say I think that it's a big part of like the whole open source free software process. Uh, is communication. You know, telling people, look, I figured this out, or look, I don't know how to do this, and I don't think that there is a way to do it yet. So let's let's sit down and figure out how to do it, or make it better, or whatever. I mean, that's such an integral part of how open source software even works, that having a forum where people can go and publicly announce, okay, I don't know how to do this, or hey, look, I found out a really cool way to do this thing, uh, that's really actually significant. I think it's contributing to the greater, you know, this, the greater open source project, I think. Yeah, I think you're totally right about that. Um, is, is there anyone else in the room who hasn't done a show yet, and this is their first time on HBR? Okay, I guess everybody on there's uh, either either done a show or isn't right at their mic their mic right now right now. No, oh, crayon, we can't hear you. Sorry about that. Crayon's calling in from the future. It's actually 2012 at his house already, so we're uh, we're waiting to hear from him. He's going to tell us uh, what the what the winning lotto numbers are. I'm hoping and uh, and whether 2012 actually is the year of the Linux desktop. But it looks like uh, audio through time travel is just as tough as Jack. just as tough as Jack. Crayon, can you pop into the um, the, the uh, OSMP mumble room and try and sort out your audio with, with – uh, there's a couple guys in there right now who can help you. Uh, okay, so they just dropped off. Um, now, I'm seeing a couple other names in here. Uh, Cornomial, I, where do I know your name from? Are you on? No? Okay. Uh, well, who else got anything to say? Actually, I will throw my hat into the ring here. Uh, let's see. Well, first off, this is Bruce, and uh, second of all, I've been threatening to do a show for a little while now. In fact, I wanted to be one of the first to submit actually a video, and uh, it would be a, sort of a combination of cooking while explaining my desktop adventures. That sounds really interesting. Um, I I, I want to ask you more about it, but I don't want to, you know, make you spoil it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, so so this is Bruce Patterson. Bruce, you do the um, you do the DistroWatch Weekly podcast every week, and uh, that's amazing that you put a show out like that every week. How do you how do you find the motivation to to nail a show every week like that? Well, actually, I'm just uh, the mouthpiece for it. Uh, Ladislav and Jesse do actually the grunt work for all of it, and uh, I get to sit back and take all the credit for their hard work. 
Um, but uh, seriously, I think that um, one of the things that I was listening to it when uh, Russ Wenner was running the show, and one of the funny parts about it is that uh, I've always wanted to do something for the community in general, and uh, because I'm not a coder, and I'm a guy who uses Linux, but um, really is just getting his feet really wet now with it, um, this was a way for me to sort of gently ease into it and the short of it is that uh, I've had a lot of fun doing it I've met a ton of really nice people doing it as well and uh, it's funny because this was one of the things that I remember a while back listening on to the tilts or talking about there, Bruce, you... how this sort of new generation of folks hey Bruce you're, you're cutting in and out we heard you say that you remember listening a while back to, I, I thought you said tilts but I'm not sure yeah, I was listening to Tilts, and uh, the short of it is that, you know, there's a new crowd out now, and uh, it, it's not the RTFM crowd anymore. Uh, I think everybody that I've run into has been very helpful, and I've enjoyed my uh, stay from every group that I've actually had a, uh, you know, the pleasure of sitting in on. I will agree with that 100%. Um, every group in Linux that I've been part of or, or gone to visit or had anything to do with, I've never met an RTFM guy, and you know you hear about you know how horrible Linux was to get into because of that. But I've never met any one of them. Not at a lug, not at a conference, not on HPR, not in any chat room. It's just it's. I I totally agree with you, Bruce. It's been fantastic. One of the side notes that I'd also like to mention too is that uh, one of the great things about Hacker Public Radio is the series. And I wanted to try and thank Dan when he was on here earlier, but, uh, you know, he put a, a six-part series on uh, the boot process. And it's really important for a lot of folks who are just getting into it as well, you know, who really want to know the, the harder side of things. And this is uh, one of the ways to get into it. Uh, and also because he's also around somewhere, Clatu uh, as well. Uh, a lot of his podcasts from uh, the GNU World Order, you know, those have been really helpful. So, I mean, you guys that are in here today, uh, just keep doing these things because you've got a lot of listeners out there. Yeah, I want to say I'll agree with you. And, and both of those guys seem to have carried forward, uh, I guess I'll say, the spirit of what um, of what Chess Griffin was trying to do when, when he had Linux Reality on. And uh, they seem to have just really carried that tradition on. And it's great to have it at, at Hacker Public Radio. And my last point is uh, I thought the... Uh open source musicians guys put out another podcast too because uh, I was actually just getting into it when you guys went on a hiatus. Yeah, uh, it wasn't an intentional hiatus. <laughs> I went on overtime at work and was working like uh, 60, 70 hours a week. So <laughs> I did that for about almost 11 weeks. So not intentional. We'll be back. Well, it'd be nice to talk equipment every once in a while too with because I've noticed there are a lot of musicians involved with uh, Linux as well. Yeah, um, I'd like to see more. <laughs> Can never have enough. Yeah, for sure. I I, I really I love my Linux podcasts. <laughs> I like them all, and uh, and HPR is just it's a great one to uh, you know to to get your feet wet too as a listener and as a as a contributor. Well, and in theory, Hacker Public Radio isn't even just a Linux podcast, which I think makes it nice. Actually, it's it's one of it can be very general sometimes, just about you know computer history or. I don't know, some of the other topics like hacking Wiimotes and things like that. It's, it's kind of neat that way. Whoopee, now I hear Clat 2. Um, 
I want to go back to where we were earlier about the range of topics. I have found that I listen to almost every Hacker Public Radio podcast I get. The one or two I don't to be ones we get into the details of programming, which is way over my head. Uh, like Bruce, I'm a user, not a coder. Uh, and occasionally one that just starts to ramble. But all in all, there are probably only three that I've not listened to, at least most of them, over the two, two and a half years that I've been catching HPR podcast. Yeah, same here. For HPR, like, I mean, I'm like Pipe Man Music. I have so many podcasts in my feed at this point, and there's almost not enough time in the day to listen to them all. But HPR, generally speaking, gets pushed right up to the top of the list um, almost always. Yeah, I think I've skipped maybe three episodes in the entire, you know, we're almost at 900 episodes now. I think I've, I've skipped three maybe halfway through, and it wasn't even the content. It was, uh, I couldn't hear the audio. I couldn't make out what the person was saying. And um, and it's, you know, probably just my crappy headphones that I had at the time. I should probably go back and, and look to see if I can uh, can hear that any better. But yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's one I never skipped. They're all great. Oh, I think one of the other things I could throw in there, too, is that HPR could certainly be a gateway drug, if you will, into the Linux world because, first of all, it puts on a really awesome face for Linux in general because it shows how diverse the crowd is. And, again, there it's not strictly just Linux either. I mean, there's a wider range of topics to go from. And I think it's also sort of similar to the desktop fight that keeps reappearing every year. The short of it is that maybe if we started introducing new folks into free software and then use it as sort of a, a, a means to an end, I think that that's how you would ultimately uh, garner more of a, uh, a user group. Yeah, and I, um, to, to, to those ends, as, as far as developing a user group, and we're really working on this right now at HPR, uh, and I keep forgetting to ask people this, but one of the biggest things you can do to help out Hacker Public Radio is after listening to a, a show, to a good show that you like, go ahead and post a comment on it so that the person who did it knows that they're being heard, knows that they're appreciated. Because if you just are throwing out a podcast into silence, it's hard to find the motivation to do another one. Yeah, feedback is a, is a huge part of the whole thing. Um, I just wanted to let you guys know, I will be, I'm going to go upstairs and go get something to eat. So um, I'll be back in a little bit. Um, let me know if there's any issues. No worries. I got your phone number. Thank you very much for your help, man. Yeah, back in a bit. So that leads me to ask to you, Pokey. Um, what about some of the future uh, projects that you guys have online? I mean, what would you ultimately like to see this grow into? Boy, that's a big question. Um, and, and I hate to say... It, it almost feels like a cop-out just to say, I want to see it grow into a community. I want to see it be a place where people go uh, to hang out with one another, to um, to, to share their, their positive feelings about Linux, about podcasts, uh, and about connecting with people online. Yeah, I have to say that that's almost a question not so much for Pokey as it is for, like, everyone in this room right now you know like where do we all want to see hpr go maybe um maybe one of these kinds of group calls would be a good idea once a month who knows yeah and everybody listening too i mean I, yeah yeah 
I, I really I don't want to minimize the fact that there are people listening to us right now who aren't in this room, and they are Hacker Public Radio every bit as much as everyone in this room is. Well, and again, to sort of reiterate the question that I had asked you last night, um, what about the possibility of uh, at some point streaming these shows around the clock like we were talking about feeding them all into Rivendell and letting them run because like you said you've got 900 uh, about uh, 900 episodes now and I could see this being sustained and as you add more to it it's always going to be playing it's a great idea um, uh, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't knock it at all um, I, well, that's what Hacker Media is, isn't it? I mean, not to interrupt you, but I mean, that's that already exists, or it did exist at one point. I haven't looked at, at that lately. See, yeah, I was unaware of that. I, I think maybe it's just the fact that we're not always on the same page, and that's kind of where the community part comes in, because we don't seem to have one place to congregate uh, when it's not, you know, when we're not listening to a podcast. We all listen to the same podcast every day, but not everybody's on the mailing list, and not everybody's posting comments. And not everybody's going over to look at Hacker Media. So I, I think maybe that might be like the key to it all is to get one central meeting place. Yeah, which ostensibly I think a Hacker Public Radio front end that is WordPressian or Drupal or whatever, I guess we're doing the WordPress thing. I think that'll help a little bit. I think it's going to help a lot. I, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to make a big difference. Um, you know, when that goes live, I think we're going to see some some changes to the way that, that you know people treat it. Uh, let me take a step back. Um, so, Klaatu, you mentioned Hacker Media. Um, so, there is there a way that there's something that streams 24 hours on this? You know, it might not be through Hacker Media. I think it is. I haven't been there in a while, but there was a, uh, yeah, there was a binary radio re revolution um, sponsored site that literally, yes, it just, it streamed Basically, I think mostly BinRev content uh, all the time. It was uh, just around the clock. I, I, I'm the, I think it was Hacker Media. Let me, let me go to that site really quick. And it's definitely dominated by Hacker Public Radio, though, <laughs> including the intriguing handbook for the criminally insane. <laughs> <laughs> you can't blame us for that. That was Dan. No, I think that's sweet, actually. In fact, my wife posed the question the other day, the difference between a shiv and a shank. It's uh, it's interesting when we find the answer. <laughs> yeah, I think the difference is a shiv is one that you is one that you make yourself. Exactly. Well, the shiv is the knife. The shank is the one you make into a knife. Yes. So there, yeah, exactly. our folks, a little Unless bit more. Unless you're technically street. talking about knives, and then the shank is the part that's in the handle. <laughs> yeah. That's that that club is such a fun show to do because it's it's just like this it's it's people getting together and you're not just talking into a mic you know by yourself. Yeah, that was a really fun one. I really enjoyed uh, the book club that I've done, which hasn't posted yet. But that I have to say that I was I was a little bit like I didn't know how to go about it. I'm not really an audiobook uh, listener usually, so I don't know. It felt like there was a little bit of I guess a barrier to entry, but but that was definitely a fun show to do. I encourage people who haven't done one of those yet to, to consider that. Oh yeah. And anybody's welcome to join us in the book club. Um, you can get in touch with us, you know, on the mailing list, HPR at hackerpublicradio.org, or you can get us in IRC. We're usually in Oddcast planet. One of us is usually hanging out there or do your own book club. If you don't want to, you know, if you don't want to do the same book we're doing, or you want to do one of your own 
anything like that is fine. I mean, Klaatu, you did a movie review with a bunch of guys once. And, uh, you know, because of it, I saw one of my very favorite movies ever. And I'd never even heard of it until you guys did that. Which one was it? That was uh, THX. Uh, 1138. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah, the movie was fantastic. I loved every, I mean, that was great. And I never would have known anything about it if you guys hadn't mentioned it. Yeah, Bruce, I guess it's not hack. I mean, Hacker Media is an aggregation, obviously, of a bunch of feeds, but I'm not I'm not seeing the uh, streaming thing that used to be here, unless I'm just not thinking of the right. I, I kept I keep thinking maybe Hacker Voice, but I go there and there's nothing there, so I'm not sure. But it was it was a streaming online, you know, it was online streaming that just kept streaming stuff over and over again from different sources. It was really really pretty neat. Oh, I wouldn't sweat it. Besides, I think if anything, that's that's another void yet for Hacker Public to step in. Yeah, I think you're right. I used to tune into it, like if I'd run out of podcasts to listen to during my my day, I would go to that site and just kind of listen in on it. And there'd be there were often some security podcasts on there that I that I didn't really have as part of my feed, but I kind of knew of them, so I'd I'd catch a few episodes through that through that. It's kind of cool. Although one of the things that I definitely want to start doing, uh, and you can see uh, the blog that I usually post up on Linux Basics, um, I think I, what I'd like to do is just uh, throw out an occasional for the uh, you know HPR episode that really hits home for me. I definitely would like to start pushing those things uh, to the uh, forefront as well, because uh, I actually heard uh, episode uh, 883 this morning, the interview with Dan Lynch, Dan's always a good uh, good interview, and um, the uh, the talk that he had with Ken Fallon it was one of the more enjoyable ones that I've liked. Yeah, definitely. It's um, definitely there's a there's a Dan Lynchism for you. It's uh, it's always great to interview um, you know cool people who are just willing to be um, you know friendly and stuff, and that's what's so cool about HPR. It's so many people there. Um, it, it, maybe we can use this to to broaden the topic a little bit. What's uh, what's been everybody's favorite shows this year, really memorable shows. Can anybody think of, think of um, you know, shows that really stick out to you? This is my attempt at trying to get some of the people to talk who haven't, haven't spoken up yet. Sounds like it didn't necessarily work, Pokey. No, it might not have. Frankie, sound like you're trying to say something there. I think you got stuck in a time vortex. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we kind of Kind of lost Frank there. Um, I'll say that some of my favorite episodes of this past year have been uh, the Brother Mouse episodes. Those things come out of left field and like from nowhere. And you're like, wait, chickens in your backyard? And he makes it so interesting. The chickens one, the uh, the Coleman Lantern one, those things. Are oh, just... yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those were really good. I'd forgotten about those until you just mentioned it. Yeah, those were great. They were kind of a, almost like survivalism, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. In fact, I didn't even know what the survivalist movement was until he said that, and I started looking into some of it, you know, just for, for everyday stuff. I saw a really good presentation at a bar camp once by these uh, small group of people, and they were all, I mean, you could, yeah, they looked the part. They were definitely, like, into survivalism, and it was it was really eye-opening and just really appealing and one of those moments where it was like, okay, so the hacker public or the hacker culture rather is also about this. I can get into this, and it, it was really neat. Just being prepared for anything at any time was really, really a cool topic. So I really liked the yeah the brother mouse episodes on on more or less the same kind of stuff. Yeah, I think the the hacker culture to me because I'm not a coder, 
you know, and I know that's where the word kind of started, but to me, the hacker culture isn't necessary. I mean, it, it is about coding for sure, but I think it's also about solving problems for yourself or with friends, you know, perhaps in a way that isn't you. You got to you got to figure out how to do something, you know, kind of in the non-commercial way and just figuring out how to get those problems solved. I think that's really what's at the the core of hacking, you know, hacking computers, hacking life, whatever it is. And I think that's why, you know, we have so many that are so appealing to people. Some of the um, old sort of like computer memory episodes where where they kind of talk about the older computers that they kind of started out on and stuff, those are. I don't want to say those are like eye-opening or anything, but I, I think they're really important bits of history, and and I, I usually like hearing that sort of thing because, I mean, even though I grew up on computers, I had a pretty limited set of computers that I was that I would that I was around, and I was kind of oblivious to what was going on outside of that little world that I was sheltered in using oh, yeah, those kinds of computers. Those, those it's are. really neat to hear about the other kinds of computers that I didn't really know existed a flavor of like what what computer culture was like you know back at that time or what whenever yeah they i would go so far as to say that they're eye-opening they uh some of the things that are said on some of those you know the mr gadget shows and the frank bell shows and uh show and the one um that was about the uh desktop transparency i mean delta yeah, ray those, delta yeah ray. Del, yeah those blew me away i i would say they were eye-opening yeah, it's weird. I, I go to those really hesitantly, you know. I'm like, ah, not another historical computer episode. And then I start listening, and I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And I, I it's really hard for my mind to fathom what computing must have been like before Linux, you know. It's like, what did you do before you had all this free <laughs> operating systems and stuff? Um, not that I've already always had it, but I guess once I accepted that I was a geek, I kind of accepted that okay the unix linux thing was what i was interested in so in my in my mind it's always been there for me yeah i'll agree with that i mean i, I you know i look back on you know my days of running like windows and just it was a habit it was habitual every 6 months i would reinstall and it would take 2 or 3 days to get it done because of all the updates and everything and then my computer ran okay again and that was like that was acceptable to me at some point, you know, to the point where I would offer to help people do that. And it's just, I look back on that and, and I'm like, wow, was, was I crazy? What was wrong there? I, I made the mistake back in probably like 2003, 2004 of asking a guy if he knew anything about Linux because I had heard the word a couple of times and he was not a Linux user. And that was my mistake. Because he told me it was just some difficult thing that you didn't have a desktop and you had to build it all yourself. And it may have been minimally true at the time, but it was it was certainly not correct information. And I held off for a long time. And I didn't try Linux till like 2007 when I started hearing it mentioned on a lot of podcasts that weren't even Linux specific. And uh, and yet and as soon as I you know popped in that first live CD the first time and you know resized the partition without destroying it i was blown away i was sold yeah that's funny i kind of had the opposite experience i remember being in a computer store with my dad um back when computer stores existed and we had seen uh three boxes i think it was red hat seuss and yellow dog and i asked him what that stuff was and it was over in the windows section so we always went to the other the other little room tucked away in the corner with all the fruit flavored uh 
computer equipment. So I kind of associated it with Windows, so that was negative, but he told me it was like something about Unix, and Unix was the original computing operating system, and it's the real deal, like it's really serious. And, you know, he gave it like this reverence, and I just thought, wow, someday I'll work my, my way up to that. And so I always kind of re- regarded everything, anything Unix and Linux, I, I would always think that, I, you know, it was something to achieve. I'm going to see if I can help Popey with his sound. I'll be back. Absolutely. And uh, as far as helping people with sound, I think there's um, a bunch of people who have been checking their sound out in the OSMP mumble room, which is our test room, and uh, seem to have stuff working. And Ken Fallon tells me there's some people who want to say hello. Is there, is there anybody on who wanted to say something? Who hasn't? Uh, not just a minute. Cornominal uh, and I think Popey. Cornominal uh, joined and has gone to get uh, some other people. So he'll be back in a while. And uh, my kids want to say hello as well before they go to bed. Oh, fantastic. The Fallon family. Excellent. Send them in. Well, they're actually HPR contributors themselves because they help me post the show every morning. That is, you know, cool that it can be a family thing, you know, that we don't have to worry about, um, you, you know, we don't have to worry about it, it, it not being appropriate for kids. I mean, occasionally, sure, but it's, it's, it's I usually know that going in. Well, the thing is here, they speak Dutch anyway, so anything you, any bad language in English is kind of um, <laughs> not, as, not as serious. So what are their names, Ken? Uh, we have Sinead, uh, she's the oldest, and then we have Padrick, and good name there, eh? And then we have Roshi. Yeah, okay, and can they hear us now? Uh, they're actually having their supper, so it'll be uh, five minutes or so before they're available. You've... Actually, hold on a second. I'll see if they're around. Ken doesn't like to be inked so much, but <laughs> Ken is Ken is the guy who revived Hacker Public Radio when when it all right, started. All right, all right. Let's let, let's stop this, please. <laughs> okay, I have got a uh, gentleman here who wants to actually be interviewed. Hello, how are you? Say hello. Hello. And what's your name? Um, Patrick. And do you know what HPR is? Yeah. What's HPR? A radio program. It's difficult to think of the words in English, isn't it, Squiggles? Yeah. And where do you see HPR written, then? On the buck feet. That's on our bicycle. And there's a picture of that on the website, isn't there? And do you help me in the morning post the shows sometimes? Yeah. And do you like it? Yeah. Okay, and who else do we have? Okay, say goodbye. Goodbye. Or do you want to say Happy New Year to people? Happy New Year! Can I ask Podrick a question? Uh, Just hold on one sec. Can you say that again? Um, Pokey, can you say that again? Yes, may I ask Podrick a question? Podrick, do you know that there's people all over the world who are happy to hear you right now? What did you say? Come a bit closer in here. I was wondering, do you know that all over the world right now, there are people listening to you and happy to hear you? No. I'm cool. in America. You know where America is? Yeah. Is it far away? Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that a lot of the dinosaurs come from America? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay, who okay, else who wants else? to be on? Hello, what's your name? Sinead. What HPR is? Yes. What's HPR? Typing in things. You type in things. What do you type in in the morning? HPR. And then a number. What's the number? 
it's a different one's number. And you have to look at the number that's on the page, and then you have to add one to it, and then you have to type that number in. Isn't that right? Yes. And how old are you? Seven. And you're learning to read and write now, aren't you? Yes. And you speak Dutch mostly, don't you? Yes. Where have you learned your English then? From Daddy. <laughs> wish everybody Happy New Year. I wish you have a Happy New Year. Hi, Sinead. Okay, happy, New Sinead. Year. happy New Year from America and from all over the world right now. Thank you. Okay, and now the smallest one who is a bit hyper but also a little bit shy. Hello, what's your name? She doesn't want to say anything. And hello, who are you? <laughs> I'm Manon, I'm the mother. Yes, and she's also the voice of the current outro. Okay, Roche, say bye-bye. Bye. Happy New Year. That was Roisin and Manon. Okay, thank you very much. Sorry for the interruption. Carry on and uh, continue enjoying the show. Awesome, Ken. That was great. Thank you. I think it's uh, kind of funny they have, uh, you know, the amount of access to technology they have been on a radio show broadcasting live to thousands of people. It's actually quite amazing what you can do with free and open source software and the community. This has been amazing to see the amount of people who have stepped up to the place and started helping this last week. It's just absolutely totally awesome mind-blowing experience i've had a grin from ear to ear for the last uh, week watching people volunteer servers and volunteer uh, mumble things and volunteer to be on and posting it on facebook and all the rest fantastic well done to everybody yeah thank you everyone who's offered to help everyone who has helped everyone who's listening um I, I can apologize for not knowing what to do with all the help that's been offered this week. That might, I think that was a little frustrating for some people who were, who were offering to help and didn't know what to do. And I didn't know where to place you, but everyone, everyone is, 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 uh, you know, is doing their part and it's just, it's fantastic. Claudio M just popped. He was about to say something. Hey everybody. Happy new year. Or hey, Claudio. happy new year. If you're on that side of the world, uh, we're still waiting over here on my end. Claudio contributed a couple shows a while back on selecting a processor, so he's one of our more technical guys, um, and, and those are really cool shows, too. Uh, how's your 2011 been, Claudio? Well, it's been uh, rather interesting. It's had it's, uh, I've had, uh, it's been, uh, I've had more fun on roller coasters, really, <laughs> uh, but this has quite felt quite like one, so... Uh, yeah, overall, I'd have to say it's been a pretty good one. You know, it's ups and downs, but overall, you know, it's all good. So, uh, you know, as far as 2012, uh, challenge accepted. That's all I have to say. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, I'm I'm grasping for a topic here. Who's got Who's got something to talk about? Uh, can you Sounds... hear me now? Crayon, hey, from the future. Yes, uh, I finally got the time warp worked out. So uh, I'm I'm calling in from the future. So it's, it's uh, it... two. Yeah, it's 2012 here, so um, yeah, it's funny. Everything I thought it would look bigger, but everything looks pretty much the same. <laughs> oh, that's because it's in Australia. We all know that. Yeah, that that could be the case. Uh, yeah, it's uh, 5:50 a.m. here, so I'm getting tired. But yeah. Yeah, you you sound like you've uh, New Year's Eving all night. <laughs> yeah, it's been a it's been a rough, uh, you know, pretty busy sort of end of year for me with Christmas and everything, and as I. I suppose it is for everyone, but um, yeah, I'm I'm coming down. I've got a week of camping to relax uh, starting tomorrow, so 
that, that I'll have plenty of time then to to recoup and yeah, listen, catch up to HPR episodes and things. So we can all look forward to hangovers tomorrow. Is is what you're trying to tell us? Yeah, that's what the forecast is at this point. Yeah, um, I I did want to say just a few things about uh, going backwards, just from everything that was uh, that you were speaking about before, um, with the um, you know the whole hacker thing. You know, I think uh, it's it's quite interesting. The website for this uh, for this call in show links to the definition of hackers on on Wikipedia, which I think is is uh, yeah exactly right in that it, it you know refers to the fact that you're uh, you know building, rebuilding, modifying, uh, and you know creating. They refer to you know hardware and software, but yeah, I think you know HPR is brilliant in that it is literally hacking everything. You know, you're, you're hacking um, life, and I think it's basically just. Uh, you know, making it work for you is what you're doing. You're taking something and you're making it work for you. And I, th I think that's really, uh, really quite awesome. And, and for me, one of my favorites um, that I remember was by KE5, which was uh, episode 665, which was uh, hacking the craps table. And that was really quite, uh, quite fascinating, I thought, you know, just, um, and that's a perfect example, I think. I like those HBR episodes. I'm fairly uh, computer uh, you know, I'm fairly technical when it comes to computers, but um, uh, but I so I get a kick out of the episodes that are actually on other topics, um, you know, such as that. I thought that was brilliant. I had to listen to that episode about five times, and after the fourth time and not being able to follow at all, I printed out a picture of a craps table so I could set it down on the table in front of me and looked at it while he was talking about it, and it, it finally made sense that fifth time. But, yeah, that show was really fun. I must have skipped that one. I don't even remember it. I think the image was in the um, ID3 tags, actually. Regardless, I also printed well, it off there's from Wikipedia. One of the, the, some of the episodes that I did, that I did like a lot um, were from, um, from Barryman, uh, the ones where oh, uh, yeah. he was talking about his Linux setup uh, for, his, uh, for his music. Uh, those were phenomenal, I have to say. I enjoyed every minute of, the, of those, and... Just the, plus the tone of his voice, him being a jazz musician and everything is just is is just you want to hear more. Uh, it's like you know you hear a, a storyteller tell you this whole story about whatever, and 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 it just captivates you. And it's just captivated me the whole time. Every episode was like that, and uh, uh, it was great to listen to, and de definitely a lot of great tips considering what he had set up. So. Oh my God! Yeah, he he didn't actually even have to say anything. That dude could read the phone book, and it would be captivating. His his voice and his sound quality. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and his sax playing. Yeah, you, I mean, yeah, I mean, on top of of all that, yes, his sax playing and the info that he had was is amazing. That guy. Yeah, his his. Uh, it was funny. I was talking on IRC about this uh, a bit ago. Uh, those episodes kind of reminded me of um, a jazz uh, program that they had on the uh, station that used to be on here uh, where they played classical during the morning and uh, jazz all night from midnight to five and the tone of his voice was similar to the to the DJ's voice uh, for the jazz uh, segment and it reminded me so much of that I, I just could not stop listening I mean it, his voice just captivated again like you said he could he could read he could read the alphabet for all <laughs> it would just be so captivating and just he just have you sitting there, just kind of enjoying it. And yeah, his music, his, the music that he used, uh, which I, I obviously was his, uh, was just awesome. But I, I really like that sort of thing, actually. Um, just like, here's my personal setup. Here's what I do on it. Here's how I do it. 
because even if you don't, even if you're not doing that same thing right now, number one, it's interesting to hear how people are doing what they're doing, and it also kind of gets your brain starting to work a little bit, and you're like, oh, I, I could do that. I could, I could set something up like that. I could, I could make music or whatever. You know, I like that sort of thing. I could learn Emacs. I could <laughs> learn <laughs> urban camping. Yeah. I was about to say, I think, uh, I think Plateau's um, series on. Uh, urban camping was was fascinating too, very eye opening. Not something that that I personally uh, do. I don't think um, it takes quite a brave individual to do something like that. I think to be able to have the courage to do that. But yeah, I, I found it fascinating nonetheless, and I loved every episode. I have yeah. to agree, Claude. Uh, those those episodes were. Um, I mean, I'd never find myself doing anything like that, but it definitely um, it, it definitely captured my interest, and I was I was hanging on every episode and. Looking forward to the next one. Um, what's funny is that it came up in conversation. Um, we were talking about it came up in conversation with my girlfriend, and we were talking about hackers and, and stuff like that. Why people want to, you know, malicious hackers. Uh, why people want to do stuff. And I tried to explain to her that, you know, that um, you know that hacker doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. Uh, you know, it can mean someone that takes something and, or it it does mean that someone that takes something that and, and makes it do what it, it intentionally was not designed to do. Um, so you know, I I in talking about that, the episode about the uh, urban camping series that you did, um, it came up, and I said, well, you're pretty much hacking life right there because you're you're taking, you know, you're taking. Uh, pretty much living spaces and stuff like that are what people would normally think as being living space and just kind of living life in a way that, you know, uh, normally people would don't normally think to live life as. So you're kind of hacking life in that sense. Uh, so, you know, I explained to her, she kind of looked at me with a funny face, but I told her, no, don't worry, it's not anything I'm going to do. But I just thought it was <laughs> really interesting and it was a great, I, I have to say, those are the, that was one of the most memorable ones of uh, HPR. Well, to be Definitely. fair, I, I don't think they were this year, though. I think they were actually last year, so I don't know if they're fair game for for this. Oh, forget everything we just said, then. Yeah, we'll do. <laughs> those were, those... Not really, Sorry, because we got a lot more feedback on those this year, and they were a perfect example of how you can get people thinking outside of the box exactly, you know, coming in from left field. Never having played baseball, I have no idea what that means, but um, it's kind of personifies exactly what um, we kind of need out here in the HPR show. And just to point out, despite the fact it was on last year, it's still one of the most downloaded shows. Yeah, they're, they're definitely the ones that uh, I get a lot of the most comments on, I think. Pe- people seem to really, really like that series. And, of course, that was one of those series that I was really nervous about. I thought, people are going to hate this, they're going to be upset, it's going to be controversial. Turns out everyone loved it. What can you do? You try to be controversial and you fail. Every time, every time, I, I try so hard. I think I'm just in the wrong group for that. I think the whole, you know, revolutionary new idea thing, I don't think that's working out for me among this group. <laughs> I think everyone kind of likes that sort of thing here. I need to go to, like, the, the housewife um, uh, podcast sec- section and and put out some weird ideas there. Yeah, man, you, you, it's called preaching oh. to the choir. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Able to get, uh, I'm really good at that. <laughs> any of us to... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, definitely. One one of the things that was so about those shows and about so many of the ones that are kind of, you know, people think they're going to be off the deep end like that is in shows like that, we get to know the hosts. And that's like the best part about it is getting to know the people, you know, like after those shows, 
I felt like I knew you. And then I was like talking to you in, you know, NIRC, like I knew you. You don't like, know me. this guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of, it's a one way thing. When you put out an episode like that, people kind of get, people kind of get to know you. And it, it's, uh, it's weird, isn't it? That's actually a really good point. Maybe that is an element of, of podcasting in general that, that is actually maybe under, undersold is that, like if you podcast regularly and you kind of talk about the stuff you're interested in, people start to kind of like they feel like you're, you know, you're buddies with that person. You know, I don't I haven't met everyone in this channel by any means, but a lot of them who, you know, I mean, Pokey and Ken Fallon and Pipe Man Music and Crayon. I mean, people who I've kind of heard but, well, and Claudio, sorry, but I've met Claudio, actually. People I've heard a lot, you know, you kind of do. You feel like. Oh yeah, they're a good guy. I kind of know what they're interested in, stuff like that, and you get this camaraderieship that that I don't know. It's not real, but it is real. Well, it's that's why I suggest go to the fest so you can put a uh, some yeah. physical person behind this, and you don't feel as embarrassed going, yeah, all my friends online. Um, okay, when I say my friends online, you mean all the people that you've never actually met in real life? <laughs> yeah, like your online Canadian girlfriend. <laughs> She's real. <laughs> what, buddy? He's so bad. Yeah, uh, and uh, these are usually really. I think really? I think we have a a young guest on like, unintentionally. Uh, like, uh, they lost Bronx. Plank, Plankton, and Little Bronx. And, yeah, sorry, hang on. And Little Bronx, how you guys doing? Hey, how oh, we're okay. You guys, are, I'm I'm sorry. I, I I was looking for the um channel to uh the the room to just test your audio the cooking show you were looking for the cooking show yeah yeah if yeah, you move uh, out to the to um, i'm still waiting on that if you move out to the root server i'll go up with you okay but uh, how do i sound because you guys are a little choppy coming in you sound a bit bro- broken up a little bit staticky yeah okay i'm gonna i'm gonna jump out and mess with this i, I probably won't be on for a while but... sounds good we look forward to it okay so, yeah, I mean, you know, kind of like I'll, I'll pull out like the big guns here with examples as, as far as what we were talking about goes. It's like who in this room would feel awkward walking up to like a Dan Lynch and like, don't you feel like you know him? I mean, I've never spoken to him in real life, but I can approach him. I can email him. And I know that's a point that you make all the time, Klaatu, where you can email someone. It feels more comfortable listening to, to what they put out or, or viewing what they put out, you know? I think that's it's hugely important and something that I think I must have maybe first experienced to a greater extent among the software programmers, like at festivals, realizing that I'm meeting people who are you know making the programs that I'm using, which was kind of cool. And it kind of started to break out into like the art stuff that I that I listen to or that I watch, and it started to become like, you know, if I'm listening to someone's music, I want to be able to email them and say, hey, I like it, or or whatever. Or, or, or contribute money to them and know that that money is actually going to go to them and not to some label. It kind of it's something that kind of started with software for me, I think, and started really kind of getting its way f- deeper into other areas of my life. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to that. I mean, like back in high school, um, you know, I would go see local bands and stuff and, and listen to their music, and I knew a lot of the guys. I, I knew them personally. I worked with one guy who was a, a bassist for a local band, and even knowing them. Personally, they just didn't seem very approachable. But then when I started getting into Linux and getting into software and stuff, um, I had just like an eye-opening experience where I, I was using uh, Mamo on an, on an A10 that I picked up, and I wanted a game on there that wasn't available on it. But people said, hey, it's just Linux. Everything should work. 
as long as it's ported. So I put out a bounty on the MAMO board. I said, this, I want this game to work on my NA10. I want to be able to take it with me and play this game whenever I want it. And somebody picked up the bounty and started working on the game. And the guy emailed the developer of the game. And the developer emailed me to ask what I was looking for to be done. I mean, like, wow, that's approachable. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's really cool and, and it significant. Does, it is significant, yes. And it does bleed over to things like music. Where, where now I want to, I only really want to listen to music if I can talk to the person and tell them that I like their music and tell them I like where it's going. And and art, you know, like, uh, you know, pictures and stuff and, and, and you you name it. It's great to, to be able to talk to them like that. I kind of have this idea that, like, content speaking of like like you know artistic content that is so prevalent at this point like everyone can make stuff now everyone's got a computer they can draw pictures they can make music they can make videos there's distribution channels for it they can post it online up to you know at least a billion people could potentially see their art so i mean there's no lo- there's no lack of content people can we can all get stuff if we want it you know it's 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 there so the the real the 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 thing that matters now isn't the content. Like, it's not so rare that someone is making a musical album that I have to go scramble to get it. The the thing now is the person behind that content. You know, the the people, the person making the content and and distributing it, and they're the thing that that is unique. You know, it's it's no longer what they're making; it's who they are. And I think that is true both in art and software, because if you think of like software that's being distributed to people. We all have all the software we need between the free and the proprietary offerings. We've got what we need. It's not a big deal. But we want to make sure that if there's a problem or if we really like something or if we want a feature or whatever, that we can then go in and say, hey, you, the person who's maintaining this software or art or whatever, can you can you fix this for me? Or have you tried this? Or have you considered doing it this way? And that's... That's kind of key, and I think that's what's really hurting a lot of industries, whether, again, it's software, record labels, movie distributors, whatever. They're not understanding that they're no longer selling the content. They're, they're selling the whole package, the, the, the artist, the, the artwork, or the software, and the programmer. Hi, it's Pokey, a package uh, deal streams now. Streams are down. Can we come outside, please? Uh, yep, I'll step. Streams are down, so no one's hearing us anyway, I guess. Just um, sing a bit of a tune or something, Clotu. Till it comes back <laughs> up. Yeah, sure. Actually, hey Pokey does have that ability. What's that, Kevin? Hey, guys. I just, sorry I've been silent, but I've been putting together a uh, quick uh, graphical how to on a, for a Mumble client oh, setup. Nice. Um, is there somebody I can send this to to where they can post it on the website, maybe, so people could just download it and walk through the instructions? I think that'll be Ken Fallon with the ability to post it to the actual Hacker Public uh, radio site. Although I'd be happy to host it on the GNU World Order site myself as well. If you want to email it to clatu at uh, member.fsf.org, I could I could post it somewhere until Ken gets around. Can you uh, type in your email address on the IRC channel, please? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, I'm here. Let me see what happened. You're, you're Kay Wisher in uh, IRC, right, Kevin? Correct. Yeah, Dark Eyes died. Okay. Let me connect it back up. Daddy, what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Play the game with me. 
Yeah. You interrupt, you interrupt, <laughs> He's not Dark. playing the game. Oh, man. I, I feel so guilty. You should. I do. See, I am hurrying up. Calm down. Hurry up. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure <laughs> hurry now. Hurry up. Hurry up. Hey, is Mr. Squiggle Australian? I don't remember. All right. It, sh it should be back up now. I think Mr. What is Squiggle, he might be. Yeah, we should be back up now. <clears throat> See, hearing that makes me want to bring my kids over here and make a ruckus. <laughs> I was playing Mancala with her. Wow. I thought that was kind of an advanced game, no? I don't know. Huh. I guess it depends on how good you are at games. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like Tilts is back up for sure, and Crayons yeah, Tilts is... Back up. is... Yeah. yeah, Dark right, Ice you, fight, man. tripped up. That's okay. That's why I'm here. Right, I'm going to go finish the game before she gets angry at me. <laughs> Good idea. We don't want that on our conscience. Okay, where were we? I was saying that content providers should come along with the content, but we can move on from that as well. Uh, oh yeah, you okay? We can move on, but I do I do want to say one more thing about that. Um, it, just the other side of the coin that you were saying, if you know, if you come up with some content, you want to be able to contact the person about it and and you know give them the thumbs up or the thumbs down or report troubles or whatever but the other side of that coin is the person themselves i mean in this it seems to me like in this day and age everything is so impersonal and like i just got their earbuds in there's no personal connection until i get online and start talking to people and then it's just like these are the real people in my life these are and hey what are you working on what are you doing you know and, and i want to see it that way yeah, it's an exact. Um, it's isn't it strange? It's it's like the whole thing's been turned upside down. I think you know. I don't. I don't know my neighbours, uh, but yeah, I I can. As you know, you guys were saying, you can email a, a person whose music you listen to and and get a real reply from them. You know, you can you can speak directly to the people who are producing your entertainment, and 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 you know, you could. You could contact uh, Jonathan Colton probably, you know, and and not that I've tried, but you probably could, and you know, it's amazing that there's that we've got so much more intimate relationships with, you know, in the past the people who would be considered I, I suppose celebrities or whatever. Uh, yet it seems that as you say, less less um, you know less personal interaction in everyday life. That's how I feel anyway. It's a really good point. I think. It's almost like because we've got a, uh, I, I guess, a smaller world now or, or whatever the, the term is, um, we can be a little bit more choosy as to who we decide to get to know. And that's kind of one – it's been one of my problems traditionally is that a lot of the people geographically close to me weren't necessarily people with any similar interests <laughs> to me whatsoever. And so finding those people online is a lot easier, and it's a lot easier for me at least – more talkative and more outgoing and stuff with people that I know at least will be able to respond to me with something that I'm interested in, you know, science fiction or computers or, or something. But, you know, I don't have to just settle for, um, I don't know, thinking about the front lawn and, and how well it's trimmed now. You know, I can talk about anything with anyone I want. Yeah, totally. And I noticed, um, you know, throughout this, through, through this holiday season on, on uh, Thanksgiving in particular, the people that I know are discovering the same thing because, you know, of I spent the night at my sister's house and of the whole family, like I'm the computer nerd. And when we woke up uh, in, in the morning and we're having breakfast the day after Thanksgiving, I was the one who, you know, grabbed a cup of coffee and sat down to talk with everybody and to socialize with everybody. And they were all on their, 
you know, their iPhones and iPads and Nooks and Androids. Like, it, it really was, like, the world was turned upside down on me. It was very, very odd. And I should have probably just, you know, popped online and chatted on IRC or something. Or recorded a show and annoyed everybody. Yeah, it was really funny. I got an email uh, from somebody. I don't even remember what it was. But the, the the opening line was, if you are reading this, then you have already begun to hide from your family members. That is kind of funny. It's like uncomfortably true. It's like, yeah, well, I guess I am kind of. Yeah, and I think that's the part that is kind of upside down on me was in the past, I would have been the guy hiding from my family members. You know, I mean, 15, 20 years ago, I would have been the one playing Nintendo, you know, or looking for a video game or a movie to watch or something while everybody's out in the kitchen socializing. And it was the complete opposite. Here I am, you know, looking to, to talk with everybody and they're, you know, playing Angry Birds or Facebook or whatever. It's actually been kind of nice because to some degree, now that everyone has some kind of electronic gadget in their hand, even if they're, I mean, I don't care who they are, if they have if they swore that they would never get a computer, they've got something very close to, like, a computer in their hand at some point. And so it, <laughs> it becomes something that you can talk to them about. You know, it's like, oh, what version of whatever are you running on there? You know, it's just like a good icebreaker for, for a geek, at least, because sometimes I have a hard time figuring out what to talk to people about at first, and it's always nice to have kind of that, that inroad. Has anybody else in the room, has anybody else been able to do that? Use, use you know, everybody's, uh, like your family and your friends, their devices as a, as a way to open the conversation? Generally, if I'm like... I did just, uh, just the other day with um, the brother of my friend's daughter's husband, if that's complicated enough, and we ended up having a nice conversation about his camera, which resulted in me recommending the GIMP to him because he didn't have any software yet. So maybe I've recruited someone. Very cool. That's actually really cool. Pegwell? Generally, if I'm at some place, say like Ohio Linux Fest or Southeast Linux Fest, I'll see someone, you know, usually with a laptop, and I'll just walk over and say, hey, what are you running on that? What's your desktop environment of choice or, you know, whatever? Yeah, right. Yes, it definitely works at a, um, <laughs> it definitely works at a Linux Fest. Class, who's making fun of me in the IRC. No, I'm not. <laughs> You're not supposed to be looking over there. <laughs> you kids yeah. behave. At the uh, at the supermarket, I tried asking the um, the uh, you know woman scanning my items uh, if she used Vim or Emacs, but she just sort of looked <laughs> puzzled at me. I don't know. Really, I ask that, and it always gets me the girl. That's that's like the the greatest icebreaker ever. <laughs> it's um no, it's a good point though. In the, uh, with the um uh, I'm not sure who said it. I think it was Frank who said it about the. GIMP. Um, I did a, a photo course recently, and they were saying how um, you know, in order to to touch up your photos, that you know, you need to get Photoshop, and that whilst it's you know fairly expensive, you have to you know, you have to get it, and all this sort of thing. And I just sort of said to her, "Have you heard of the GIMP at all?" And she said, "Oh no, I haven't." And it was sort of an open, casual class, so you know, there was probably only about ten of us in the room, and I just sort of said um, to them all, you know, "Hey, if you want to check it out, get the GIMP." try it out you know it did at least save you the money of getting photoshop or whatever and it'll most likely be good enough for what you want to do if you're just going to be cropping and resizing and whatever i mean i yeah i use the gimp for everything and works for me but it's funny how yeah you can end up sort of pushing open source and and that sort of stuff without um even trying <laughs> sometimes go ahead frank sorry 
I was going to say it's funny, given how much we're surrounded by computers these days, how frightened people are. Uh, my son is in the 82nd Airborne Military Intelligence. They give him a $26,000 laptop and push him out of an airplane. And I was talking to him once about Linux a few years ago, and he said something, something, something. He said, but I'm not going to mess with the operating system. And folks just, they make it so much harder in their heads than it really is. I have got to agree with you 100%, Frank. That is, um, that is, I have found exactly the same thing. It's really bizarre to me, too. Yeah, and at the same time, I have been able to set people up with Linux, well, one guy. I set one guy up with a Linux computer, and he's perfectly happy with it because he doesn't have to mess with it, where he's very familiar with Windows machines, and he, he's not, I wouldn't say he's very familiar, he's familiar with the problems. He knows what annoys them about him, but he has no idea what to do about it. And then, you know, I sit him down in front of a Linux machine, and the guy's just thrilled with it. I guess it's a case for a lot of people, if it is broke, don't fix it and stay with Windows. Yeah, it just, I'm not sure if that's a computer thing or if that's kind of a lifestyle thing where people run into the same problems every day to the degree that they can look right through them and ignore those problems. And I, I think it's more of a lifestyle thing because you see people do things that don't make sense after you've thought about them. I, 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 I could be wrong. I keep blaming sort of like culture for this, though. Because it just feels like we're not taught to do that. We are so, or at least it feels to me like the, the prevailing idea is that you should not, you shouldn't try to make things better or right or work differently. You should just do what you're told and, and be happy with it. Even if it means banging your head against the wall repeatedly. And, you know, it's just like that, this weird mentality. And people carry it over, like you say, Pokey, in life as well as computers. I, Thou I think, shalt um, not hack. Yeah, I think I think Klaatu, I'm not sure we may have discussed this on on a Colonel Panic uh, episode, but yeah, I think I agreed with you at the time um, what you've just said then. But yeah, and also just that they um, they're reluctant to to change anything or to try anything because I think you know human beings are, are generally a lot happier to just adapt to what they're dealing with to, to solve, the, to overcome the problem, as opposed to changing the thing they're using to make it work right or whatever. So, you know, if they have, you know, if a person has a, a door that jams or, or sticks or whatever, they'll work out a way to, to, to get around it and use that door without, as, as opposed to just fixing the door, you know? Yeah, they'll tell you just have bump it. Yeah, exactly, and it's because humans are—we are by nature extremely adaptable and and and, and really good at, at you know changing the way we do something in order to to get the result. And I think a lot of the time, um, you know, a user would be happier to have to you know in Windows have to reboot once a week or whatever than to try something new where that's no longer necessary, you know, to effectively solve their problem. And you see that all the time. Uh, there was an XKCD cartoon that made fun of it, and you see it all the time where. You know that where users have solved a problem that they need to overcome, and when you look at the way they've solved it, it involves you know using seven different programs and opening and exporting a file and then changing a file and then doing this and doing that, and it takes them an hour and a half to do some operation that could be quickly and easily solved with you know some other more elegant solution. Rather than looking for a solution, they just find a way that works and then they work around it accordingly. Yeah, to the degree where 
when a real solution to something comes up, it's even hard to get your head around. Like, you know, back in my Windows days, when I would rip a bunch of CDs or something and then have to rename them, I'd have to click on every single track and like paste in the album name and just do it again and again and again and again. And and many different file types where you're just entering the same data a hundred times and it could take you an hour to get something like that done. And when the concept of batch processing was introduced to me, I couldn't even wrap my head around it. Like how, you know, how is my computer going to know what I wanted to change and where? And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's very foreign until you've, you know, until you can wrap your head around stuff like that. And, and I think the same thing is true of, of hacking in real life where people are afraid to make something worse and I don't know. To me, if something's broken, how can it get worse? Just fix it or just try it. Uh, I, go ahead. Oh yeah, no, I was just going to say. I think yeah, I think it. Um, it you know the two things that that it. it uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry. Right. <laughs> you go, uh, Clutter. Okay, I was going to say. I think it might be in part. There might be some logic to that because it's kind of like they've invested so much getting to the point that they are you know it's like well gee i spent seems like i spent my entire life learning this stupid computer thing that i that i hate so much and yeah it doesn't work but man i know how it you know i i know what doesn't work i know what does work i can just be happy in this sort of weird corner even though it's not the greatest place to be but whatever um and i just don't want to start over and a lot of times going over to linux or something or even anything just seems like you're 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 losing all that investment it feels like you're stepping so far back yeah so they feel like they're throwing away the uh, all that effort that they went to yeah. to finally work out how to get around the problem in the first place yeah yeah but uh, that's i remembered what i was going to say now regarding the batch processing and that sort of thing it's it's something that you can i don't think you ever you know, you've got to be constantly vigilant and ensure that you're constantly thinking about your actions and what you're wanting to do because, um, yeah, it's gotten to the point I, I find now where any time I repeat anything more than once, I sort of have to stop and go, all right, now hang on, I've done that, you know, I needed to do that again. Should I, you know, in some way automate this or, or you know, is it likely I'm going to need to do it again? And you have to be constantly sort of checking yourself to make sure that you're not being less efficient than you can be in, in some way, you know, because there's... Otherwise, you just sort of tend to fall back into those old habits and you find yourself, yeah, repeating something manually when you could just automate it or whatever. Yeah, for sure. And, Klaatu, I think that scenario you were talking about, isn't that called like the lost cost fallacy or the sunk cost fallacy where you kind of trick yourself into believing that if you invest in something that isn't working and you bail on it, you give up on it, and then try something that does work, that it feels like you're, you've thrown away all the investment in the initial thing, even though it hasn't returned anyway. I, I hadn't heard that put into, um, yeah, I haven't, no, I didn't know there was a phrase for that. I love it, though. And I find that I think that's really, I mean, again, it doesn't, it's not just about software, it's, it's real life stuff, too. You know, in on film sets, a lot of times they'll go through the same kind of thing. A, an actor or something won't be working, or a certain camera angle just isn't working, and they feel, "Gee, we 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 we've already got everything set up this far. It just seems like we should force it." You know, and so they keep going with it, and then in the end, in the editing room, the shot doesn't even make it into the 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 project because it didn't work. And so if they'd bailed instead of trying to keep their yeah perceived investment, 
then it would have been so much better. But instead, they, they just kept doing what they were doing, and it turned out pretty much to not be what they wanted. They should have just bailed out. Yeah, I, another example of that is, I've heard it explained as like the stock market. You buy a stock at $10, and it sinks to 9 and it sinks to 8 and it sinks to 7 and every time it drops down, you know, a lot of people have this this thought process that says, well, I can't let it go until it's worth what I paid for it. Whereas if they just took their money out, cut their losses, and put it into something that was growing, it would have been positive at, at that same point in their investment, you know, in, in money, actually, you know, but what we're talking about is energy and, and effort. Um, it would have paid back much sooner. Do we have to insert like a legal claim here that we're not stock market experts and that we're not giving stock advice, something like that? Nor are any of us lawyers, to the best <laughs> of my knowledge. Yeah. There is a TED Talk that I, I saw pretty recently talking about almost exactly what you guys are talking about. The guy talks about an experiment they did about, I forget, it's about putting your own money in and return on investment. I don't remember. I don't remember the point he was making exactly, but there's a good TED Talk on that. It's an interesting topic, and and I I haven't really thought about it as much as I think we're thinking about it right now. So it's it's actually really interesting to me because so far in my probably admittedly limited experience, it really does seem to be true that if there's a if it's occurring to you that something isn't working in your project or your life or whatever, it's probably more often than not it's true that you you should be changing that thing rather than trying to force it into being something else because that's just it's not going to work out that way right or to try to work around it i mean and of course we're assuming that you've got the time to get something like that done you know whereas yeah yeah you know if it's a timely thing and you know how to do the work around sure have at it but if, if there's a better way to do it you, sh you should attack that i um i can smell a really good hpr episode coming from klaatu once he's had a good think about this <laughs> yeah, it might be a topic I return to, possibly. It's like the old saw about how it's amazing when something's broken, people try to fix it by doing the same thing harder. That's exactly what it sounds like, yeah. It's like, it's that def that old definition of, ins of insanity, you know? Like, you try something like over and over, expecting different results. I find myself getting into those loops sometime where I'm trying the same thing again and again and it doesn't work. And it's so frustrating. It's crazy. And then you realize all of a sudden I've been doing the same thing for the past X amount of time. And it's, it's stupid, you know, and it's, it's, it's just, how, you know, how do you not make that change sooner? Try something else. It's, it's really weird. One way I've been able to kind of get out of those loops, Pokey, is to trust, to, at least in a specific situation, is to trust the command line. Like, because I can't tell you how many times I've been doing something with FFmpeg or even just something, something with where I have my path wrong or something stupid like that. And I'll be thinking, why isn't this tabbed completion working? Or, or why is this FFmpeg movie keep looking really bad when I'm transcoding it? And, and I'll do it like three times and then I'll stop and think, the command line isn't lying to me. Like something is wrong with the way I am doing it, and so then I'll 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 go back and investigate why it's not working the way I think that it should be working. And there there is a certain beauty to computer consistency that you can kind of fall back on. I think. Oh my gosh! If anybody is in a time zone where it's after 5 p.m., it is New Year's Eve, so please raise a glass to the command line. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I was meaning to uh, talk to Klaatu about Emacs. 
You've been doing some Hacker Public Radios on Emacs. So I have been. And uh, <clears throat> about, oh, maybe about three months ago, I got into using org mode. Yeah, yeah, I've been using that a lot lately myself. I am extremely addicted to org mode now. Yeah, me too. It has changed my life at work. Like, really has made my, my life ten times easier. And here's here's uh, an example of beating your head against the wall, and I'm going to request it. Can someone try one more time, for my sake, to explain org mode? It is... Uh, it's it's basically just a set of add-ons for Emacs that allow you to automate creating notes and organizing things. Like it's just it just really helps you quickly make to-do lists and lists and nested lists and track time and that kind of stuff. Okay, okay. So they're just a bunch of key commands basically that automate making notes. In the end, the, the org mode file is just a text file, but. It, it handles nesting things really well. Like when I when I do notes, I I could, I could really quickly start nesting things under different to dos, and you can add deadlines to objects to to different lines, you know. And then you can clock in on that and clock back out and keep track of the time on it. So I I do all my time tracking with it and stuff. And you can mark things done and not done and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's very oh, okay, dynamic. Cool. It's it's very dynamic. It feels like when you're in org mode, it feels like you're using. I don't know, like a calendar or a to-do list kind of application. I mean, it's not just text. It you can hit the tab key and it'll collapse bullet points, or you can hit the space bar and put an X by the 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 thing that's done. All these kinds of different things that are really it's very interactive. So is is org mode useful for the person who is organized already and just needs a tool for that? Or is this a tool that can reach out to a person who's classically disorganized and help them get their stuff together? Um, well, let me give you kind of a reason why I use it. Not, you know, I can't say what it's going to work for other people or not, but I can give you why I thought it really was so revolutionary for me. At my, at my day job, I do design. I design commercial systems for mostly hospitals, uh, pipe systems, HVAC and stuff like that. And I deal with a lot of information day in and day out. It's a lot of, pl and it's all in different locations. I have emails that engineers and people have sent me. I've got different construction documents that I have to deal with. I have submittals that show us um, what actually equipment we're installing and how it gets installed. And it all gets really convoluted really quickly where job is in about 30 different locations. And then you add to that, some of those conversations ends up being verbal over the phone and stuff like that. And the problem is like, Let's say I decide to install a valve, and and I do it because one of the engineers said we're going to be using this valve. And then later they say, who told you to do that? I need to be able to keep track of the conversation so that I'm covering my own butt, basically. So what makes it easy for me is that I can make to-do lists on what I'm working on if I'm drawing uh, a mech room or whatever and all the stuff I need to do to get that done. And then I can track time so that when they ask me how long it's going to take me to do something, I can go back and look at something similar and say, well, this last job, it took me this long to do it. But then also when somebody talks to me about something, I can make another line and I can timestamp where I talk to them and add a tag that says verbal or nonverbal. And I can put their name in there and then I can search for their name and like pull up conversations. So when somebody says, you know, yeah, you remember we were talking about this? Well, you know, I don't, I don't remember what they ended up saying. Do you remember? And I can pull up my notes real quick by just doing a query inside org mode and go right to it and say, yeah, it was on this date and this guy said this to me. Here's And then I can nest under it emails and what was said in the emails. 
uh, and what date they came in and stuff. And it, it really just helps me deal with deluges of information. Does that help? Yeah, it helps a lot, actually. I'm, I'm mulling it over. I, I don't know if people who are very unorganized will go into org mode and just find a sudden imposition of organization. I think you have to have some some ability to kind of organize your, your thoughts and tasks and things like that anyway. And and if that's what you're looking for, but you just want something that's that's dynamic and yet simple and ultimately portable, because like Pipe Man Music said, uh, it is just a plain text file that once it gets into org mode, it becomes beautifully dynamic. Um, then, then you'll you'll find it helpful. But if you're the type of person who can't even make a a, a logical outline of of something or a, or a bullet list that that really yes, sort of relates to itself, okay, then you might want to just kind of work on those those I, I say basic skills. I mean, I guess they're not basic skills, but you know the, that those kind of organizational. No, they're pretty skills. basic skills. I'm not offended by a word like that. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, what I like is that you can really arbitrary like. For me, the notes move a lot. Like things don't. I'll, I'll get to a point where I'm making notes, and they no longer make sense to be organized in the way that I have them. But org mode lets you change the nesting of things really quickly. You can shift things up and down, and, and in and out. And you know, there's times when I need to break one one area that I'm working on into two sections and track that differently. And I can I can really move stuff around really quickly. So it ends up for me being like, once you kind of get down the workflow, I don't know that I necessarily like approach things every the same every time, but it lets me just kind of pour things out of my head. And I can kind of keep moving that around and moving it around until it gets more and more useful. You know, I'll nest and add another heading and add some dates and make some bullet points. The other, so the other two things I've been using it for is, one, another one is I, I've been keeping notes on when I listen to podcasts and people mention things that I want to look up. I've been making an org mode to-do list that has different kind of funny. sections and stuff, and that I can is, keep track of things I want to look up later. Critically important. And then I can add. It's funny though because I've got org mode open right now, doing that very thing for this episode. So just that's that's funny. So yeah, I've been doing that, and that way when I get home and I'm back in front of the computer and I have some time to cruise Wikipedia or whatever and look up some things. I have that kind of, and then I can mark them done that I already looked them up, and I can put like this wasn't that important, or wasn't as cool as I thought it was, or oh my god, I need to look into this, you know. And then I can add it to a task list and say, you know, to do, I got to do this, you know. So I've got that going. And then the other thing is at work, uh, I mentioned earlier on the conversation that we hired some new guys, and what Org Mode lets me do is type notes out for them and export them as HTML. And then I save that on our network drive, and they can pull up that HTML document and use that as notes for how to do different things in AutoCAD. So I make these kind of like step-by-step things that are under headings, and and the export in org mode automatically gives you a um, index at the top that you with links to places in the document already filled out of different headlines and nest things, and you can do lists, um, numbered lists, and bulleted lists, and you can also add in image files. So I'll do like screen captures. And then in org mode, I just do uh, bracket, bracket, file, colon, the the path to the file, bracket, bracket. And when I export, those will automatically be formatted and into the HTML doc. And then they just have to hit F5 and refresh that doc and all the notes I can keep up to date for them. So it's really helped out a lot at work in just helping, um, you know, some of the stuff we do is kind of like, if you mess up one step, you kind of bork it. But this 
I don't want to explain it 15 times before they get down all the steps, you know. So writing it down means when they mess up, they can go back to the beginning and look again. And there's screenshots, and I, I take little screen captures of icons they need to click on, and I throw those in there, you know. This sounds more and more like Hiddly Wiki the more you explain it. I've never yeah, used that. Yeah, I I think, uh, was it you, Pokey, who were telling me about that in the first place? It, it, you're right. It is really close. It's very similar. Yeah, it's yeah. it was me that was telling you about it. It, it sounds like Wiki with a black background. Depends on what you have your background set to. Right, right. Of course. No, it, it's. But yes. Uh, no, and the, and the other thing that you said there, uh, Dan, that was really you know stuck out to me was the fact that at your work you can run Linux and you can export an HTML file and give it to a coworker because I have worked in places where keeping a notebook on my desk was frowned upon because I was misusing company time. So. <laughs> wow. Uh, to to be fair, to correct that, I don't use Linux at work. I'm not allowed to. <laughs> but I run, so I run Emacs on Windows. Yeah, that's the that's the beauty of this stuff, though, because I mean Emacs will run on any platform, and Org Mode is just a plugin for for Emacs, so it works. But I also back up all my notes with Dropbox, so then I can have those at home too. If something happened at work, you know, I have a backup of all my work notes. So an, another word uh, Klaatu said to describe it was portable, meaning like the hyphenated portable, you can port it to different systems, but is it literally portable as in does it run on, you know, uh, I guess Android is what we're left with now, but does it run yes. on tablet? Yeah, there's a portable org mode app that actually cool. syncs with Dropbox too, but you can also sync it with a web dev server and uh, I forget, there's some. there's another option in there. I mean, literally, I've the yeah. One of the cool things that I, I might have mentioned this before on another show, but one of the cool moments for me was someone sent my old boss sent me an outline of a chapter, and he just pasted it into an email. I copied it out of that email, the body of the email, pasted it into Emacs, and then started up uh, Org Mode, and suddenly it becomes like this beautifully, you know, again dynamic kind of outline where I could collapse bullet points and see what subsections we needed to write and stuff like this. And I was like, wow, that is portable. I mean, it, it's plain text, so you can send it through any computerized device. It doesn't matter. But once you put it into the application that knows how to look at it, then it becomes this new and cool interactive thing. And if you don't have that application for some reason, then you can still look at it because it's plain text. Yeah. And one of the other crazy cool features is um, the ability to embed spreadsheet right in your notes. I use that a lot too. And those, I don't use that, but I read about it, yeah. Yeah, you can you can do like when I'm doing spool sheets, they like to keep track of how many I'm getting per hour. So I make up a little spreadsheet then every day I add a date and how many I got done for that day and it'll and then you can you can have it do calculations and figure out like what I was how many spool sheets I was creating per hour. So I, I like that and, you know, other uh, keeping track of other information that really looks good in a tab, table, you know. There's every job has like floors and I need to keep track of what the elevation is from the top of each floor to the next one so that I I can keep spatially kind of where I'm at. So I make a nice table that has all that. And like I make a table for insulation thicknesses on pipe so that I know when I'm running this system, it's two inches of insulation. So I use that table a lot. I like that a lot. And when you export to HTML, it makes a nice HTML table of it. You should use Unix at work because it has pipes built in. <laughs> Teehee. Thank you. <laughs> Clever. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I hadn't have thought of it before. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, I I wish more guys who knew about pipes were as good at it as you are because I work in rooms with steam pipes running through them all the freaking time, and they're not correct. <laughs> yeah, steam is my specialty. That's actually what I specialize in. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license. Ken, I think it's if we just start with what we've got for now. They're both confirmed to be working, I think. And then when you come back from doing your family stuff, we'll uh, we'll work on it a little more in like the IRC. Perfect. I'll do that. Give me a minute. That's actually live music, is it? Yeah, it's yeah. me playing. That's me playing. Impressive. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Keep going. <laughs> I don't know, I was just trying to keep the stream with noise in it. Appreciate it, thank you.
doing Come around and see me again Hi guys, uh, just one second. Um, I have put one, yeah, I've got one stream up there that I can guarantee to work. If you're saying Corba 2 works, that's fine. I'll put the other one up as well. I'll yeah, put the other one up as well. Yeah, I think but, that's smart. I mean, obviously some people are managing to get to them, so I think we should have them posted. People can yeah. try different ones. Cool, I'll put them up, and then I need to go because... Uh, yeah, we my daughter's coming in now. Yeah, we know you do, Ken. I, I think um, I think we're probably ready to start, and people will stream in and stream out through the day. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.